If you've got a Bible, open to the book of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. Last week we began a focus, uh, really turning our attention to this idea of church health, of wanting to become a healthy church, and applying the Bible not only to our personal lives, but to our church life. We're accustomed when we come to church to hear somebody get up and expound the Bible and apply it to our personal lives, but we also want to apply it to our life together as a church body. And so last week we took a look at this issue of membership and why Redeemer holds a formal membership, a covenant membership process. This week we're going to take a look at leadership, this week and next week, as we consider what the Bible has to say about leadership within the church. And so we're going to start a mini-series of messages just this week and next week on the role of deacons in the life of a local church. So in Acts chapter 6, if you're there, if not, it'll be on the screen for you. We're going to read starting in verse 1. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So as we open this series of messages on deacons, we've got to ask ourselves this question, what is a, a deacon? And depending upon the church that you grew up in, you might have all kinds of images circulating in your head with regards to what a deacon is or a deacon does, right? The traditional Southern Baptist church that I came to faith in, when I thought of a deacon, I thought of an older man with gray hair, sometimes a little bit crusty, all right, uh, with a brown drab suit. That's all they ever wore, it seemed like, these brown drab suits. And they would help, they would run the church, oftentimes vying for power in the church and trying to direct the church in the way that elders and pastors were intended to do, right? Or they would distribute the Lord's table whenever we would, they would serve the elements to people, Right, and so you might think of deacons that way. You might think of deacons in maybe your context. Maybe they were dressed to the nines and they sat on the platform behind the pastor. And every time the pastor made a great point, man, they were letting you know when your shouting moment was supposed to be. Right? They would, they would give them a little bit of expression. Come on, preach it. Right? Uh, maybe your, your view of deacons or vision of deacons or images of deacons might be kind of as a minister in waiting. In some traditions, you become a deacon before you become a pastor. And so there's all kinds of different perspectives on the role of deacons depending upon what kind of church that you grew up in. And so the question is, what does the Bible have to say about deacon ministry? That's what we want to get to. And so the first thing that, that I think we need to understand is the Bible says that deacons are servants. They are servants. The word deacon shows up generally in the New Testament 29 times. And, and so it refers both to a, a very general idea of service, but also to a particular office. Generally, the word deacon is used in multiple places. For instance, Paul calls himself a deacon of the church in Ephesians 3.7. He says he'd become a deacon or a servant of the gospel according to God's gift of grace. He's serving the gospel as it goes forth into the world. In 1 Corinthians 
3, Paul says that he, along with Apollos, there had been arose some distinctions in the church, some divisions in the church, like I follow this guy, I follow this guy, I follow this guy. And Paul says, why are you following any of us? We're just servants. We're just servants. That's what he, he uses that word deacon there to describe himself and Apollos. In fact, even, the Bible even refers to Jesus as having a deacon role in the life of his people. In Romans 15, 8, we're told that Jesus became a deacon or a servant to the Jews in order to confirm God's promises to the patriarchs. So everything God's promised to them back there, Jesus shows up to serve his people in a way that brings all those promises to fulfillment in their present. And so the word deacon or diakonos in the New Testament just means servant. Generally, it means servant. So anyone who serves the purposes of God amongst the people of God is said to have, if you'll allow me to turn a noun into a verb, right, a deaconing kind of ministry in the life of the church, generally. And yet you also find the word used in specific ways in the New Testament to describe an office that was operative in the early church. So not just a general description of servants, but an office. You see this in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul and Timothy are writing to the church at Philippi. And he says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus, to the entire church, all the assembly together, along with, he says, the elders and the deacons. These two offices that were operating in the early church. You go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul, as he writes about qualifications for elders, those who would serve as pastors and overseers in the church, he gives a list of qualifications. On the heels of that, he follows it up with a subsequent list of qualifications for deacons. These two offices functioning in the life of the early church, both had certain character qualities that they were to find in people they were to install in these roles so you had the general use of the term being servant you had the specific use of the term talking about the office and in Acts chapter 6 I along with many other scholars as they read Acts chapter 6 believe that that's what we see being instituted there that's what's coming into existence in Acts chapter 6 even though they don't use the, 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 you don't see the description of the office of deacon in Acts chapter 6, when it says they were to serve tables, that word serve underneath, the, the, the Greek word underneath that English word is diakonos. They're going to serve, they're going to deacon the tables. They're going to serve the tables. And many think this is kind of a prototype of the deacon office in the church as it's first instituted by the apostles when they lay hands on these individuals and commission them toward this ministry in the life of the church. So deacons are servants. Generally they're servants, but specifically in the office, here's what, we're gonna, what, what I would say, that deacons, the office of deacon in the church is this, is a task-specific servant. It's a task-specific servant. So even as we think about deacons here at Redeemer, our elders have been talking about this for several months now, thinking through this issue. And when we think of deacons, we think of task-specific servants. The first deacons in Acts chapter 6, they were appointed to serve the church by accomplishing a specific task. Right. So the early deacons were not like a board of directors. Okay? There was no board that, that, that existed there in, in Acts chapter 6. They were not being appointed to deliberate and adjudicate decisions, right? It wasn't like in the early church you had the elders who were the senate and the deacons who were the house of representatives, right? And they were just two bodies of legislative government in the life of the early church. And so something would pass through the senate and the house of representatives also had to approve it in order for it to get pushed out to the people. That's not how it worked in the early church. The deacons were not a deliberative board, 
They were task-specific servants entrusted with, equipped to, and empowered for specific ministry and the life of the local body. Right? So they didn't meet to discuss issues. They, were, they, they didn't deliberate over things. They did things. They did things under the oversight of the apostles and at the approval of the church. And so how do deacons then function in this task-specific way? What do they do? If they're servants who are fulfilling specific tasks, what do they do? I'll give you three things I think that we learn from Acts chapter 6 about what the deacon ministry was in the early church. And what we envision it being here at Redeemer as well. And the first one is this, is that deacons serve the physical and fiscal needs of the church. They serve the physical and fiscal needs of the church. The men appointed in Acts 6 were appointed to serve both the physical and financial needs that existed in the church. In verse 1 of Acts 6, what we read about is a benevolence problem in the early church. A benevolence issue that arose. As there was one group of widows who seemed to be neglected in the daily distribution. Now that word daily distribution there literally means this. The daily distribution of food to the widows. See, in the ancient world, there was no food stamps, there was no social security, there was no welfare system, government-wise. But what you did have was the church binding together to care for her own in ways that many times the culture did not do. And so in, if you read further back in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, you got the church, when anyone had need, what did they do? They collected their possessions, they sold them, they took the, the profits and they distributed them amongst those who were in need in the life of the church. Because they saw themselves as family, as brothers and sisters, and they would lean into the needs and address the issues in the lives of their family members. They wouldn't just hang them out to dry. In the ancient world, without this kind of care and concern coming from the church to her members, oftentimes those who were widowed in a patriarchal society where they had no jobs, no job prospects, they didn't have any children, then they would be destitute, homeless, and impoverished. And yet the church was leaning in to care for those in that condition in her midst. It's a beautiful thing to see in the way in which the church loved one another. You see it very early on in texts like John, 1 John chapter 3, where John says as well, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, if you've got something and somebody needs something, then you give it to them. Otherwise, what's, where, how in the world can you claim to belong to this one who has given so much for you? Right, there's this image of the early church caring for herself. And so in a very real way, these early deacons, these seven who were individuals who were commissioned to this ministry in the early church, they organized and facilitated the benevolence ministry of the church. Because you had one group of widows who was getting food in the distribution, another one that was being neglected. There was an inequitable distribution of food to these two groups, to the Greek speakers and to the Hebrew speakers, the Jews and the Gentiles. So they organized and facilitated this benevolence ministry to make sure there was equitable distribution. Now listen, it's likely that these seven who were appointed, they didn't do all the distribution themselves. Okay, listen, the early church in Jerusalem was the first megachurch in human history, right? Literally overnight. Not over 12 to 18 months. It just grew exponentially. 
overnight, Peter shows up in the day of Pentecost and he stands before the people and preaches. The Holy Spirit falls. 3,000 souls are saved and converted. They come into the, into the church and they begin to care for them. So can you imagine seven people to care for all the physical and physical needs of thousands of individuals? Do the math. It doesn't work. So it's likely these seven people did not care for every issue personally, but they organized and facilitated the church to care for herself. To leverage, make sure there was, there was, that resources were being spread and used in ways that were glorifying to God and edifying to the men and women of the church. And listen, this type of ministry, of benevolence, of care, of mercy, of moving towards needs, right? showing up in our context to cut grass and bring meals and pay electric bills or water bills, right? that is vital ministry. That is not second class, junior varsity, freshman team kind of ministry. It is vital ministry to care for the physical well-being of an individual. Because if you have the world's goods, John says, and yet you do not leverage them for those who are in need, how can you claim to have God's love abiding within you? It's vital to care for their spiritual needs. Oftentimes, our minds are preoccupied with, when our minds are preoccupied with where our next meal is going to come from. For some people, that drives them to the Word. For some people, their minds are just, Riddled with concern, worry, and anxiety. But it also provides a shining witness to the world. Right? Even in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, do you want the world to know that you belong to me? Then love each other. Serve each other. Demonstrate care and concern for each other. Lean into the issues your brother is having. Lean into the issues your sister is having. Meet them in their need, even whenever it is financial or physical, particularly when it's financial and physical. So deacons, they serve the physical and fiscal needs in the life of the early church. But in addition, deacons also work for the unity in the body. They work for unity in the body. Listen, I want you to know something. In Acts chapter 6, there's more than a benevolence issue at stake. There's more than that at stake. There there was a growing rift between these two ethnic groups in the church, between the Greeks and the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles, those who spoke Greek and those who spoke Hebrew. And the deacons were not merely addressing a practical benevolence hiccup or issue in the life of the church. They were serving to promote unity and prevent it from fracturing along these ethnic lines where one group was being neglected. Right, remember how the text started? Go back into verse 1. There was a complaint issued by one ethnic group against the other to the apostles. And listen, the apostles, they didn't look at them and go, listen, pull up your big boy pants and big girl pants. Life's not always fair. Get over it. It's not what they said. They took this issue as a matter of great severity serious issue that threatened the unity, that threatened the life of the church, the church body. And so what did they do? They, 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 their response was to call on the church to select spiritually mature and wise individuals who would serve in such a way as to promote church unity. So deacons are, are not just there for only practical matters, but also church unity issues. 
church unity issues. And deacons help support church unity. They work toward church unity in at least two ways. One, they absorb shock. They absorb shock. Listen, I don't know if you live anywhere in Rockwall County or Hunt County or even Collin County, as the population continues to massively increase, one of the things you recognize is that the infrastructure around here is only going to get worse before it gets better. Can I get a witness? Right? And so it seems like they tear up everything at one time. Right, and so you, there's no way to get in and out other than driving over dusty, bumpy, rocky roads. And listen, you can drive over rough roads, and if when you do in your vehicles, you have things called shocks on the front and rear wheels, axles, your suspension. It helps absorb the shock. Without those, right, as you're driving down that bumpy road, like your spine is being shaken. It's all, you got to go to the chiropractor every single day, right? You're just always hurting. There are bolts and nuts flying off your axles. Your axles are being bent because there's nothing to absorb the shock. See, shocks on a vehicle turn what could be a destructive path or stretch of road into a, just a bumpy one. Because without shocks, you could throw, throw an act, you could throw, like your transmission could get all jacked up whenever you just kind of crash down in a pot. Like this just massively destructive things that could happen to your vehicle. And the same is true in a church. Because every church will face junctures in their history, listen, including this one, in which there will be bumpy roads. There might be issues of dispute over, over practical issues, over theological issues, and deacons... Deacons can function, particularly in those practical matters, as shock absorbers. Right? And so that makes it incredibly important. That's what's going on here in the early church. They were absorbing some of that shock. Yes, it's still a bumpy road as we try to figure out the inequity of the distribution, why that was taking place, how do we correct it, how do we move it forward. Right? But they're absorbing that shock, keeping the church from dividing. And listen, this is why it's incredibly important. We'll look at the qualifications next week of deacons, but it's incredibly important that these are individuals of high character. Because you need individuals serving in deacon roles in the life of any church, including this one, who will help build bridges rather than tearing them down. People who will assist in putting out fires rather than starting them. And what that means is you don't need people serving as deacons just because they complain the most. Right? They always have, they're highly opinionated about everything and they're always right. Right? That's not the kind of individuals you want serving as a deacon, but somebody who, somebody who's willing to help absorb the shock, not create shock in the church. But deacons also serve for unity in the church in another way. They serve not only by absorbing shock, but by affording justice. Right? Isn't that the issue that's going on in the book of Acts in chapter 6? An equitable distribution of food along these ethnic lines. So they afford justice. So here's, here's the deal. You don't want somebody serving as a deacon in the life of a church. You want somebody who, who is, is pursuing justice for all, not playing favorites with particular constituencies within the church. So deacons are not like lobbyists, right? Even though they're task-specific servants over particular areas of ministry, they're not a lobbyist. You know what a lobbyist is? A lobbyist is at the whims of a special interest group and only concerned, very narrow-minded and focused on their constituency, not the greater whole. 
And so deacons need to be individuals who are willing to, yes, while they may speak about the, the particular concerns they have about their particular area of ministry, and we, we need to make this adjustment or we need to move this forward. Yes, they are giving oversight to that. They are wanting to see that flourish. But they're doing so in a way that is with an eye to the broader health of the church, not just their particular area of ministry, not just their particular task that they've been They've been assigned and commissioned to fulfill. So they're not a lobbyist. They're not playing favorites. They're pursuing justice. They're wanting to see the health of the body built. Everyone edified, not just those who, are, who, who, are, who they're helping to facilitate and organize. So deacons work for the unity of the body. They serve the physical and fiscal needs of the church. They absorb shock. They afford justice but deacons third also support the ministry of the word they support the ministry of the word in in acts chapter 6 when the 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 complaint arises to the apostles notice the apostles what they don't say is like they don't say they don't look at each other and go you know in that best practices manual we've been reading about how to organize and facilitate ministry in the church and how they did it over there the thing we got from that conference that we went to right this is what they said, that you should, not, you should delegate some things and not take everything on because you'll burn yourself out. And because That's not what they say. They say something much, much stronger than that, in fact. In verse 2 of Acts chapter 6, listen to how they respond. They say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They said it's not right. In other words, they were unwilling to let the preaching ministry of the church suffer so that they could give attention to the practical ministry of the church. Like we're not, we're not going to let this ministry suffer so we can give attention to this one. And yet they, at the same time, listen, at the same time they acknowledge the priority and the value of the practical ministry in the life of the church for the unity of the body and the building of the whole. Like You've got to have those things. And so what you have in the life of the early church was this. You had elders and pastors, or, or, or apostles in, in Acts chapter 6, apostles who were saying, listen, we're not going to let the preaching ministry suffer to give attention to the practical ministry, but this is important, so we need to find people who can give attention to this so we can give our attention to this. Right? So there was, there was, they said, it's not right. I, when I was... I was talking with a member here a few weeks ago and they were asking me kind of what the preaching calendar looked like for the fall and I was sharing with them we were going to talk about elders and, or about deacons and installing deacons. And so they asked me a great question. They were like, what's the difference between an elder and a deacon? Right? We see those two offices in the church. What's the difference? I'm gonna try, uh, the way I want to describe it to you this morning be as simple as I can is that the former elders are about theological vision. The latter deacons are about practical execution. Right? So you've got theological vision for life personally, church life corporately, the mission, and mission God's given the church, the teaching ministry, the shepherding ministry, theological vision for life and ministry in the church. On the deacon side, you have the practical execution of life and ministry in the church. And notice, listen, while, while listen, I'm not an apostle, okay? It's not my title, okay? I don't roll around calling myself that. All right. Listen, and while, while elders and overseers and pastors in the life of the early, uh, 
the church today are not apostles like they were in Jesus' day, right? I didn't sit with Jesus. I didn't see Jesus. I'm not like Paul even on the road to Damascus where Jesus appeared to me in a, right, it's post-resurrected state, ascended state, and blinded me and sent me out into the wilderness for 40 days and scales fell off my eyes, all that. I didn't have that experience, right? So I don't have that we, we, while as a church, we wouldn't say that we have this apostolic succession because we have relationships even with all the people who came before us. Like this guy discipled me, and this guy discipled him, and this guy discipled him, and it goes all the way back to the apostles, right? Or that we, we carry that with us, but we do have a succession, not of relational lineage, but a theological lineage of the preaching and teaching of the gospel, of holding that forth and forward of keeping it pri- primary and holding its priority in the life of the church. And so elders and pastors and overseers today, they might f- they function similar to the apostles then in focusing on the preaching ministry, the teaching ministry, the shepherding ministry in the church, while deacons focus on the practical serving, administrating, executing in the life of the church. That's, that's a primary difference. And look, and in verse 5, I want you to notice something. How the people respond to this proposition by the apostles. Whenever they, whenever they propose, here's the solution to our issue. Right, listen to what they say. And or what, what, the, what, what Luke records in the book of Acts. He says, and what they said pleased the whole congregation. What the apostles said about the arrangement here. That they would give focus to preaching and shepherding while, 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 while the deacons gave uh, attention to the execution and administration of ministry practically in the life of the church. It was pleasing to them. They were in favor of it. They're like, yes and amen. Right? I can't believe we didn't think of that. Right? This is a good thing. We should rejoice over that. They don't go, well, Peter and James, since y'all are the paid professionals, right, you should then do everything. And we should just support you with our giving and show up and watch the show. It's not what they say. They say, yes, there should be some who give their attention to the study and preaching of the word and shepherding of the church, while others give their attention to administrating, executing, and focusing on the practical ministry concerns of day-to-day operations in the life of the church. They rejoice over that. It's a good thing for them. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. And one of, this, one, of, one of the things this means for churches that have deacons or are looking to install deacons like us is that the individuals that we would install as deacons, right, they're installed to support the preaching ministry of the church, not to supersede it. But what you have in the Bible, in in the early church, in the book of Acts, is you have apostles who functionally, elders and pastors are doing that work today, functionally. You 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 have the preaching arm of the church who is saying, yes, we need the practical arm. We value that. We support that. We raise that up, commission that, empower it. To, to execute the practical ministry. And you had the practical ministry saying, yes, that is an equitable arrangement so that we can give our attention to the practical execution and you can continue to give your attention to the theological vision. And so as we look to install deacons, they need to be individuals who support the preaching ministry of the church, who support the ministry of the word. 
who value that highly and demonstrate that through their consistency. They open the word personally and read it. Right? One of the only distinctions in the qualifications given in 1 Timothy 3 between elders and deacons is that elders are able to teach. doesn't say anything about deacons being able to teach, but much of the same character qualities and traits are required for both. But deacons should be ones who value that preaching ministry of the church. They should value the teaching ministry of the church and say, I want to execute the practical side of ministry so that elders and pastors, their time is free to shepherd and study and preach God's word. That's the biblical vision for elders and deacons that you see time and time again, particularly here in Acts chapter 6. So deacons should be individuals who read it personally. They're there corporately whenever it's opened. Right? We, 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 we should not nominate or install a deacon who's here once every two to three months in service. Does not make that a priority. Right? And they, 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 they are connected in groups, discuss the word communally in their life groups. There should be individuals who are supporting the preaching ministry of the church. And the preaching ministry of the church is supporting the practical ministry of the deacons. Right? They're not looking at the preaching ministry going, well, what really matters is the nitty-gritty stuff that we're doing day to day. And the elders aren't looking at them going, well, what really matters is the preaching of the word and the, the, the shepherding of people and the counseling that we do. They're both looking at each other and saying, you are needed valuable and we love you and we need you and we want you you with me they're both vital and both important now before we get to some of the execution of this we're going to land the plane early this morning and be like yes practical execution but i want you to notice i want you to notice at the end of the text what the result of this is, this arrangement that they come to, what happens? The church is bound together in unity. She continues to flourish. And the word of God continues to go forth. There are many disciples that are being made as some give attention to practical, some give attention to preaching and shepherding. Look in verse 7. Read it to you again. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So, God's mission of making disciples of all nations and baptizing them and teaching them all to, to obey all the things that I've commanded you to do, and lo, I'll be with you to the ends of the earth. Jesus' commission that he gives to the apostles before his ascension is coming to fruition. Because there, are a, there is an office being established in the church that would give attention to practical ministry and free up others to give attention to preaching ministry. It's a beautiful thing when it operates well in the life of a church. And Jesus' commission is able to be advanced. The gospel is able to go forth. People are able to be discipled and taught and cared for and supported. Both. Now, what does that look like at Redeemer? So what that looks like for us, because we're, we're going to use that language of task-specific servant. Right? So 
the deacons in the life of our church will not be a board. We're not going to have deacon meetings once a month, okay, on Sunday nights. We're not going to have deacon meetings, you know, we're not going to meet, you know, alternating with the elders or anything like that. They're not going to be a board. They're going to be task-specific servants who are equipped and empowered to fulfill particular ministry roles in the life of the church that give attention to the practical execution of this theological vision. Okay, so task-specific servants. Now, does it mean that they're going to be responsible for doing everything in that area of, that's under their umbrella? But like those early deacons, they're going to be recruiting people to join them in that work to join them in the execution of that practical ministry. And so as we have thought through and brainstormed different areas of deacon service in the life of our church based on where we are today, where we are today and what the needs are, here are the things that have risen to the top for us as we look to nominate and install. Right, You see in Acts 6, Congregation chose, the elders appointed and laid hands. Commissioned, empowered, equipped. And so as we've thought about where we are today, we, th- we believe in these six areas. We need deacon-type ministry functioning in the life of our church. First, a deacon of local missions or outreach. One who would facilitate teams of people, organize teams of volunteers for outreach events like Celebrate Fate coming up in a few weeks as we mobilize to engage the community that God has planted us among. Or Trunk or Treat in, uh, later on in the fall as we host the carnival out here on the parking lot. Or they would organize teams to do service projects in the community and engage things like food banks or, or shelters or places that we could go to serve those who are in our community. A deacon of outreach. On the flip side, we also believe we need a deacon of member care or benevolence or in reach to care for members who are here, their physical and fiscal financial needs. That person would manage the benevolence budget that is set on an annual basis in accordance with the policies that have been established by the church. And they would organize additional assistance for things like yard work or meals or auto work or things like that that need to take place internally in the life of our church to care for our members, our sisters and brothers. A deacon of hospitality, third, someone who would facilitate our greeter team and follow up with ministry, uh, follow up ministry with guests. Listen, we've got people who are doing that now, but they're also doing seven other things, right? And so they can't keep loading things on top of the same same people right over and over and over again and saying well you do a great job at that and you must also be able to be good at this and then this and then this and they keep just getting laid more and more on their plate right and that's just not a, f- a healthy way to operate and so we need somebody to lean into that we also need a deacon of facilities somebody who would oversee the setup and tear down staff that we have right now that's setting up the building and communicate with them, correspond with them if there are special arrangements that need to be made because we're doing a, 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 a potluck afterwards or we're doing an event on Saturday or VBS. Like they're in the loop, they know what's going on and they're executing all of that as they communicate with the people who set up and tear down for us. And they would double check the setup on Saturday mornings to make sure everything is positioned correctly and appropriately and ready to go whenever volunteers walk in the door. 
We also need a deacon of women's ministry, somebody who would spearhead women's events and Bible studies to rally the women of our church together to learn and grow and care for and serve one another. And on the flip side, a deacon of men's ministry, somebody who would do the same for the men. And so those six areas that we've identified that we need a deacon to execute practical ministry in the life of our church at this time. We've also, as we've discussed, somebody raised the question, like, what's, what's the difference between elders and ministry staff and deacons? Like, how do they relate all, like, is there a triangle here? What are we doing? And so as we prayed and talked through the issue, the place that we've landed is this, is that until, as our elders have landed is this, is that until someone is ordained as a pastor in the life of our church, their, their role would be that of a deacon. Now, whether they are lay deacons or vocational deacons, they would be a deacon. And so right now we have ministry staff that's giving oversight and executing our student ministry and worship ministry and kids ministry and groups ministry. And so it, retroactively their titles will revert to deacon of student and worship ministry or deacon of groups ministry or deacon of kids ministry. Right? And so as, this isn't news to them, by the way. We've talked about this already. Just, just want to let you know that. Let you in on the inside. All right, we've talked about those things. But until such a time they were to move to being ordained as a pastor, they would be a deacon, whether vocational or lay, in the life of the church. And what makes the difference between those two things? Oftentimes, the number of hours needed to accomplish that particular practical ministry task. If it can be done in two or three hours a week, you can get a volunteer, a lay deacon who would step into that role. If it needs 20 to 30 hours a week, we'd probably need a vocational deacon to give attention to that role. Does that make sense? And so this is how we envision it fleshing itself out here at Redeemer. And the process that we'll go through in the next couple of, next week, uh, we'll have cards here available for you to begin nominating people, as the early church did, choosing from amongst yourselves, individuals, right? Next week, I'm going to go ahead, some of you, this will be a bomb, some of you are like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought anyway, but... Women are able to serve as deacons in the life of this church based on how we understand the teaching of Scripture. And so, as you nominate people, right, you nominate men or women toward particular roles, these specific tasks that we've given you. So you're not nominating deacons to serve on a board. Okay? You're nominating them based on what you know of them and of their gifting and how God's wired them and their character toward a particular task in the life of the church to serve as a deacon. We'll, go, we'll have a month of nominations. Receive those from you. Right? And we're asking you, as a member of the church, also to put your name down. Right? So this, it's not like a secret ballot nomination. Right? So that we can follow up with you. Probably wise. The same thing that I ask you to do with elders is the same thing I'd ask you to do with deacons. Go to them and say, if I were to nominate you, is this something that you'd be willing to serve in? Okay? And ask them first. Before I call them in a month and a half and say, hey, you were nominated as, what? <laughs> so ask them, are you willing to serve in that kind of capacity? I believe that you would make a great fit for this. I want to nominate you towards it. And after we receive those, nomina those nominations, we will follow up with those people who have been nominated. And once we're ready to move forward with that and lay hands on them and commission them in the life of the church, we'll have a deacon commissioning service. That we'll probably do in conjunction with our, our next prayer service that we are planning to have later on in the fall. 
And so I just wanted to give you a little, little, little insight into kind of how this is going to move forward. Right? But deacons are task-specific servants who function in the life of the church to care for the physical and fiscal needs of the church, work for unity in the body, absorbing shock, affording justice, pursuing equitability for all, and supporting the ministry of the Word as they give attention to practical ministry concerns so that elders and pastors can give attention to the preaching ministry and shepherding and counseling of the flock. God left no stone unturned in how to organize. And listen, we would be remiss. And I believe, listen, I'll say this, the lead pastor here, I think we have been remiss over the last four years for not functioning this way. And I'm looking forward to seeing how God would continue to to fulfill the mission that He's given us of sharing the gospel, shaping disciples, and sending missionaries into our neighborhoods and around the globe as we aim to get healthy by giving attention to the counsel of our good physician, moving toward church health. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning we thank you for your word and how it not only addresses our individual personal concerns, but also our corporate concerns. How it is that we're to function as a church. And God, I pray that as we move forward towards this, I pray that you would raise up men and women and we'll, And God, help us to understand that together next week. But raise up men and women who would serve in the life of your church to execute the practical ministry functions, to care, benevolence, organize and facilitate teams who would accomplish ministry in the body and in the community. And Father, I pray now that you would even begin in the hearts of some, God, to call up an aspiration for this kind of work. And give us wisdom as we move toward nominating and installing those individuals. God, our heart is to see as a church that that your word would be multiplied, that disciples would be made, that we'd see people baptized and taught and instructed, walking in the ways of your commands. Because we've sought to learn from you. We've sought to learn from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.